Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. The book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We'll be looking at verses 11 and 12. And considering the faith of the weak. I would cover your prayers as it's probably evident I'm dealing with a bit of a chest cold. And uh, God willing, he will strengthen me to preach for you this morning. And perhaps just standing here is an illustration of this passage, and that might be a sermon in itself. Hebrews 11, verses 11 through 12, give attention to God's word. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. And therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for your promises but confessing our weakness and inability to accomplish your purposes. And so we pray now, O Lord, that through this time of preaching, you would strengthen us by faith, even as Paul the Apostle prays, that we might know the love of Christ and be filled with all the fullness of God. And we pray all of this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, in our region of the country, and by region, I mean, of course, the Southeast, there's generally two views of Christianity that either you have grown up in or you have been exposed to. On the one side, the the more numerous and the more, uh, might we say, popular view of Christianity is what we can call evangelicalism. And evangelicalism uh, takes a view of God's ways with men, and generally to understand the mindset of an evangelical, you have to understand that they approach the faith from the standpoint of speculating about what God can do. In many ways, the way that the evangelical thinks and operates is they begin by saying, what can God's power accomplish, and let's go do that thing. For instance, God can use rock and roll music to bring people to Christ, so let's do that. God can use uh, comedy in the pulpit to win people to Christ, so let's do that. God can do many different things. And so they go out and claim that it's faith, which is trusting in God's power. In my opinion, this explains most of what happens in evangelicalism. On the other side, you have our tradition, which is the Reformed tradition. And generally, the Reformed tradition doesn't start by thinking about God's power abstractly. We don't start asking the question, What is God able to do? And then run off and do what we think he's able to do. 
In the Reformed view of Christianity, we start with his promises. We look to God's Word and say, what has God promised to do? How has he told us he is going to operate? But we're not evangelicals here. We're Reformed. And we have a major misstep in our thinking. It is proper to start with God's promises, but one of the things that we forget that the evangelicals can teach us, perhaps, is that in approaching God's promises, we are not to approach them thinking the power is in us. God's promises are not given to us on the assumption that we can achieve what is promised. But God's promises are given to us with the assumption that we cannot achieve what he has promised to us. So in the evangelical mistake, we might call it, they run away from God's promises. They're unbound by what God has said. We might call this presumption. Presuming upon God's power. Expecting a miracle every time they do something. The Reformed mistake, however, though we start with God's promises, we approach it thinking we have the power. We might call that mistake pride, exalting ourselves to accomplish God's purposes. And what we're going to learn in this passage is that the faith that saves, the faith that Hebrews 11 is speaking about, the faith that you and I each need to have, is a faith of the weak. It's not a faith of the powerful, nor is it a faith of the presumptuous. It's a faith of the weak who look to God alone. Specifically, what we're going to learn in this passage is that faith looks away from human power to the character of God in the accomplishment of his promises. Faith looks away from human power to the character of God in the accomplishment of his purposes. We might put this very simply, the way the prophets and the apostles would summarize the gospel in three words. Look to Jesus. And we're going to see that very simple idea expounded here in the example of Sarah and Abraham. There's two verses and there's two points to our sermon. Verse 11 is faith. Verse 12 is the accomplishment. Verse 11 is faith. And verse 12 is accomplishment. As we begin looking at this passage, I just want to uh, remind us a little bit of the context of Hebrews chapter 11. Recall, though we've been going through this passage and we've noticed the faith before the flood, faith amid the flood, uh, the faith of pilgrims, and now the faith of the weak, don't be confused. It's all the same faith. It's all the same saving faith, taking different aspects, showing itself in different ways, depending upon the context. And so here we have the faith of the weak. Starting in verse 11, we notice Sarah's faith. Notice in the, the, the beginning of the verse, the emphasis is on Sarah herself. Look at what he says. By faith, Sarah herself 
received strength. In the scriptures, when you have, this is something to pay attention to as you read the Bible, whenever the word herself or himself comes out in the English translation, there's been an emphasis being drawn, your attention's being drawn to this person. Sarah herself received strength. It's not the idea of strength that we're talking about here, but it's receiving actual strength in her person. She herself received strength. Nor, uh, uh, and notice also, she received strength to conceive seed. Notice that the strength that's being talked about is an actual, real strength that Sarah herself received to accomplish a good work. In other words, this is not the idea of strength. This is not what we often see in evangelicalism, the, the idea that God's power is able to do beyond what we can imagine, and then people go off in that presumption, and what ends up happening? Everything goes to seed. No good is really accomplished. There may be a, a, a brief excitement about the things of God, but it ends up petering out and not bearing fruit. Notice the faith that we're talking about here is that Sarah herself receives strength to accomplish an actual deed. This is not the idea of strength. Nor is it the idea of feeling strong. This is not just a, an excitement that is being talked about with Sarah. He's not saying that by faith, Sarah felt like she was strong. Sarah had strong emotions. He's not saying that Sarah was temporarily encouraged, but she was actually strengthened to conceive seed. Now, this is often not how we feel in the midst of a good work, is it? It's very appropriate that the author uses the example of Sarah and giving birth to illustrate the faith of the weak. Because when a woman is bearing a child and giving birth, she does not feel very strong. She does not feel like a superwoman. In fact, she feels like she's at the end of her rope until that child comes forth. That's the example he uses here. That by faith, she was actually strengthened to accomplish a good work. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you just at this point. Because at many points in your Christian walk, you will not feel strong. Some of you perhaps don't feel very strong right now. Some of you perhaps are struggling in the midst of birth pangs. You have besetting sins. You have worries. You have cares. There, there's something in God's providence you're waiting to uh, uh, happen. You, you have a promise. You've been praying about this promise, but the promise has not come forth yet. And you don't feel very strong. The faith of the weak doesn't look to the feelings. It is actually strengthened to accomplish good works, to accomplish the work that Sarah is given, in her case, bearing a child. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters. Faith does not look to human power. The faith of the weak looks away from ourselves and it looks to Christ alone. Notice also in this passage, it is interesting, isn't it? After Adam sinned, our world was cursed. 
And part of that curse means that the natural course of life doesn't work anymore. It is natural for a woman to conceive and bear children. That's one of the basics of what it means to be a woman. But Sarah, a woman, is not able to do this without faith. She is not able to do the thing for which God created her without faith in God's power. Now, this applies not only to women. This applies to anything that we would do in this life. This applies to anything in the order of nature. Because we are fallen, because this world is fallen, nothing is accomplished without faith in God's power. This is one of the reasons why our confession speaks about the Lord's Day and the two reasons we observe the Lord's Day. Do you know what they are? Number one is to think about God as creator. On the seventh day, God created the heavens and the earth and rested. Therefore, he sanctified the Sabbath day. The other reason is to remember God as redeemer. For this reason, God brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you might keep the Sabbath day and remember that you were a slave in Egypt, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, respectively. And so as we worship the Lord, we worship him as the creator. He set up the order of nature. He made the trees, the men, the women, the, the, the birds, the springtime, the sun, moon, and rain. He's also the redeemer of all those things. And without his redemption, those things are cursed even the womb of Sarah. So there's an emphasis on Sarah herself. She's, she's given strength to conceive. See, the word that he uses for strength here, it's important to notice, it is uh, the word that means power to bring something to pass. It, it's a power that actually works. It actually does something. It accomplishes what it is intended to accomplish. It is not just the potential strength. It is actual strength. Uh, as I mentioned before, there's not only the, the curse upon nature, but it is very instructive that God displays this power through Abraham and Sarah. God gives this promise intentionally to the weak. God intentionally called a 90-year-old woman and her husband, who was 99, to bring about this promise. So it's not the case that Sarah is 45, maybe coming to the end of her fertile years. That's not what's happening here. And then sometimes a woman of that age may conceive seed. It happens. What we're dealing with is a woman who is 90 years old, long past the age of childbearing. Abraham, who's 99, long past the age of uh, being able to uh, propagate. And it is these two that God makes his promise to. Now, why is this? Well, look to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul speaks about this. 1 Corinthians 1, 26.
For you see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh, meaning human power, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and those things which are despised. God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human power should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And so the Lord intentionally chooses the weak so that when his power is displayed, all mankind will recognize that's the power of heaven. That is not the power of men. And so by faith, Sarah received strength to conceive seed. How did Sarah do this? The author goes in and and a little bit further in verse 11 and speaks about Sarah's own faith and what she was thinking and doing. Look at verse 11 again. He says that Sarah, by faith, she received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. The word judged here is is not the typical word for judged. Uh, The word judged here means to lead along. It means to lead something, to go in front of something. So what's being said here is that in Sarah's mind, her, her mindset as she thought about these things was not on her own weakness. It was not on her own body. It was not on her own ability But she judged that the one who promised was faithful. She reckoned that if God is promising this, he's absolutely true. He must be able to do this because he's faithful to his promises. He always keeps his word. We learn the same thing about Abraham. When Abraham was tested in Genesis 22 and the Lord came to Abraham and said, Take your son, your only son, the son whom you love. And offer him as a burnt sacrifice. In the book of Romans, Paul says, Abraham reckoned, God must be able to raise the dead. Because Isaac is the son of promise, and yet the same God has told me to kill him on the altar. What's the conclusion? God raises the dead. Because he is faithful who has promised. Now this is a very important point I want you to understand how Abraham and Sarah thought about the Lord. They thought about the Lord according to his divine power, not according to human ability. Now, when we say divine power, what are we talking about? We're not talking about the power to create all things from nothing. We're not talking about the power that... uh, 
can create a rock so big that God can't lift. We're not talking about that kind of power. We're not talking about something that we can speculate on. We're talking about the power of the resurrection. We're talking about the one thing God and God alone can do, and that is raising the dead. That's how Sarah thought about this. That's how Abraham thought about this. And that often, turn to 2 Corinthians 1, that often is how God in his providence will bring you to the place where you remember this. 2 Corinthians 1, perhaps a very precious chapter to many of you. Paul the Apostle writes, He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Notice what he says then in verse 5. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. How was Christ comforted in the midst of his sufferings? The hope and the accomplishment of resurrection. And this is where Paul goes in the latter part of the chapter. Look at what he says in verse uh, 9, starting in verse 8. We do not want you to be ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, So that we despaired even of life. Ben Franklin is wrong. God does not help those who can help themselves. God will often lay burdens upon you. Beyond measure. Above strength. So that you even despair of life itself. Why would he do this? Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. That we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead you see how the the resurrection is not just a thing we celebrate we should celebrate it but the reason we celebrate it is it's that power that is available to you every single day and it is that resurrection power alone that strengthens you to do God's will. Brothers and sisters, this is the faith of the weak. This is the kind of faith that Sarah exercised. Returning to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. What does this mean? How how do we apply this to ourselves? Well, one... When you look at God's promises, the first thing to ask yourself is not, how am I going to do this? The first thing to say is, Lord, I cannot do what you're asking me to do. I cannot do this. I have no strength. I have no ability. This is beyond me. But you have promised. Accomplish what you have promised. St. Augustine used to pray a beautiful prayer. He said, Lord, command whatever you will, 
and grant what you command. Command me to do anything that you want, for you are good and holy and righteous, and then grant me what you command. That's the faith of the weak. Isn't this the whole warp and woof of the gospel? Isn't this the centerpiece of our religion? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. God commends his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the righteous. God loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, though sinners, though wretched, though in themselves dead in sins and trespasses, God who is rich in mercy has raised us up resurrected us to to sit with him in heavenly places. This is the whole warp and woof of the gospel. That what God has promised, he accomplishes by his own power. That's not just your initial faith. That's your entire life as a Christian. Well, we've seen Sarah's faith, and we see now that it's because of this faith that God accomplishes his purpose. Verse 12, we see the accomplishment of his promises. The author begins verse 12 and says, therefore, this word therefore is a little bit different than the typical word for therefore. Um, He's not speaking logically as if he's drawing a conclusion. He's saying that as a result Sarah, by faith, was strengthened to receive seed because she reckoned that God is faithful. As a result of that, God accomplished his promises. Uh, That is, should be quite obvious, because Sarah believed. Now, this is a challenge for us, especially in our day. We, We noticed last week Uh, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, that Noah, amid the flood, was commanded to build an ark. It had never flooded over the whole earth at that time. And Noah is commanded to build this giant thing whose only purpose is to survive a worldwide flood, which had never happened before in history. So how is Noah supposed to accomplish this? By faith, in God's promise, trusting his word. Likewise, in our day, we live in the midst of a flood of wickedness and sin. If you look at your own heart, if you look at your own life, you'll see even more wickedness and sin. And yet God has promised. God has told us to love our brothers as ourselves. God has told us to turn the other cheek. God has told us to worship him and pray and labor for his kingdom. God has told us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will add everything that you need as you do that. This has to be done by faith. This cannot be done by sight. Probably one of the sins of our age is that the church walks by sight far, far too often. We see God's command, we see God's promise, and we begin to ask ourselves, well, we don't have the money for that. What is the world going to say? What is the news media going to say? What are congregants going to say? What's going to happen if we do this? Well, if we don't do it by faith, only bad will happen. Therefore, because Sarah believed and because 
she reckoned that God was faithful. Because she reckoned this way, from one man and him as good as dead. Again, Abraham is brought to our view. Sarah is way past the age of childbearing. Abraham is as good as dead. And it's from these two were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. This language, of course, comes from the book of Genesis. It's the language of a fulfilled promise. The first time God makes this kind of promise to Abraham is in Genesis 13. Don't don't turn there. We're going to review this very briefly. But Genesis 13, verse 16, Abraham and Lot split. Lot chooses the land of Sodom. Abraham chooses the land of Canaan. After Lot goes away, God comes to Abraham and says, this land is yours. I give it to you. Walk up and down. Stretch out. This is your car. You can do whatever you want in it. It's yours. And I will multiply your seed as the dust of the earth. That's Genesis 13. In Genesis 22, 17, after Abraham had been tested, he's ready to sacrifice Isaac, the angel of the Lord comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, now I know that you fear God. And now I will multiply your seed as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These phrases show up in Genesis 22. And it's in Genesis 22 that God actually uses this language to Abraham confirming the promise. Of course, the author to Hebrews is probably thinking of Israel and the nation that comes out of Abraham later on. The 12 tribes and the mass multitude that came out of Egypt and all the Israelites that were born and lived under David and the rest of the kings. A couple of things to notice about this promise. First, the promise was made to Abraham as the head of the covenant people, but also as the head of his house. It was given directly to Abraham. God spoke with Abraham. God dealt with Abraham. God said, Abraham, I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to bless you. But notice, Abraham cannot accomplish what he needs to without Sarah, without his better half, without his helper, meat for him. When Adam was created, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper meet for him. So even in the state of integrity, man could not accomplish his purposes without his bride. Likewise, in the state of redemption, Abraham cannot accomplish what God has called him to do without his bride. But notice, Sarah's faith is commended, not Abraham's faith. Even though the wife is the helper of the man in the marriage relationship, that doesn't mean she's not a full, uh, responsible human being. She has to exercise faith too. She has to reckon God is faithful. It's not enough for Abraham to believe. Sarah also has to believe. Abraham cannot accomplish this purpose without Sarah. Both spouses need to be walking in faith not just the husband. You know, we just read a passage in 1 Corinthians that is sometimes very offensive to our day where Paul says, let the women keep silent in church. 
for it's not permitted for them to speak. The Bible's teaching on men and women is often wildly misunderstood today. You read passages like 1 Corinthians, and people will take that and say, well, the Bible thinks women are worthless. That's not what the Bible thinks. You read passages that say women are to keep silent in the church. That means women have no spiritual gifting. That means women have no place in the life of the church. Wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that women, just like men, are to exercise faith in God's promises, and it is only through the unique contribution of women that you can have a church at all. It is only through the one thing that women provide the church with that men cannot provide that you have a church in any sense. What am I speaking about? Children. Men don't conceive seed and bear children. Only women can do that. And it is by faith that Sarah was enabled to do that. And the church, the seed of Abraham, comes out of that. So women, I want to encourage you. I know the day in which we live is a day that says, for you to be valuable, you have to be a man. You got to get a job, you got to earn your money, you got to get your degrees, you got to get places of leadership in the public space. And that's the only way that you can be a valuable contributor to society. That is wrong, and that is the source of all the confusion you see out there. This poor, confused soul that shot up the Christian school. A woman thought she was a man and killed children because of these demonic lies. What the Bible is saying is that women. You're not called to lead in public. You're not called to bear the burdens that men are called to bear. You're called to bear a burden unique, special, and something that only you can accomplish. You're called to bear seed by faith for the building up of the church. Just one passage that speaks about this. 1 Timothy 2, Paul writes, about men and women in the church in their unique role. And he says in verse 15, 1 Timothy 2, verse 15, Nevertheless, she, the woman, will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Notice how Paul joins both of these ideas together. A woman will be saved in childbearing, not because of nature, not because women can naturally and they're equipped to bear children, but because through faith in God's promise, he redeems this. Through faith in God's power, he redeems childbearing and makes it a blessing to the world. Because without that grace of the gospel, without the power of Christ, Childbearing would be a curse. Why? Every time you bear a child, you bear a sinner. And every time that sinner bears a child, it's another sinner. And unless by the grace of Christ he redeems those sinners, they will be curses. But praise be to God, he's promised us and promised our families that he's a God to us and to our children after us. So she says, by faith, uh, they will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, love, holiness, and self-control. 
Now, I'm speaking generally. What does this mean if you have been prevented from bearing children? Does this mean you're not faithful enough? No. Sometimes the Lord sends hard providences to us. It is the Lord who opens and closes the womb. Sometimes the Lord burdens us. And he burdens us in such a way that we are without hope in ourselves. Sometimes he tests us beyond our strength so that we would not have confidence in our own strength, but that we might have confidence in the Lord who raises the dead. I'm not making any judgment about women who have tried to have children but have been prevented up to this point. That's not the point. Don't interpret me that way. What I am saying is that in general, ordinarily, making allowance for God's particular providence in particular cases, ordinarily, this is how the Lord uses women to contribute to the church through exactly what Sarah did. And so I would encourage you to seek these things. Notice, you know, backing out a little bit more and back to Hebrews 11. It says in verse 12 that from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. That was said to Abraham in Genesis 22. This promise was not accomplished in its full magnitude until probably the time of Moses or maybe even Solomon when the nation is is bursting at the seams in the land of Canaan. And this language is used again at that place. Abraham and Sarah did not see the full effect of this promise. Abraham and Sarah lived and died in faith, not seeing everything that God had promised to them, not seeing the full accomplishment of what he intended to do with them. This is leading a little bit into next week's sermon. You'll notice how verse 13 begins. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. We won't say much more at this point, but simply to say this. In many ways, this is the Christian life. Living by faith in promises that you may never see. At least in this life. Walking by faith in hope of things that God will not accomplish now. Think about the simple gospel message. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. When? Judgment day when he returns. John the Baptist is preaching to the Pharisees and he says, flee the wrath to come. Trusting in the gospel is fundamentally trusting in a promise that you will not see accomplished until Christ returns to deliver you from the wrath to come. Now there are blessings we see in this life. There are tokens of God's favor. I'm not denying that. But I am saying ultimately we don't live based on those things. We live based on God's promise and reckoning him faithful who has promised, who is able to accomplish everything he's promised to you in the gospel and in Christ. The last thing to say about this is the thing that Paul the Apostle says about this. Turn back to 2 Corinthians 
2 Corinthians. This is why Christ needs to be at the center of everything that you think. Christ is the focal point of all of our living and dying, of all of our thinking and praying, of all of our reading and writing, of all of our loving and striving for the kingdom of God. Why? Look at what Paul the Apostle says, verse 18. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God... Jesus Christ, who was preached among us, among you by us, by me, Sylvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. Listen carefully. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. This means two things. One, Christ's blood purchases all the promises for you, but also in the life of Christ. You see all the promises fulfilled. Resurrection, justification, glorification, communion with the Father, blessing in the midst of trial. In the life of Christ, you see all of God's promises fulfilled. That's why the gospel accounts are rather long. So that we can contemplate the life of Christ and see how these promises are accomplished. Feed on the Lord Jesus Christ Be in the communion with the Lord Jesus Christ for all of God's promises in him are yes and amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your promises and for the Lord Jesus who is the fulfillment of all your promises. We pray, O Lord, that you would strengthen us by faith. Help us to reckon that you are faithful even though we do not see Your word accomplished, and when we look at ourselves, we see nothing but weakness and death. We ask, O Lord, that you would purify our minds and forgive us for the ways we've had hard thoughts about you, and that you would soften our hearts to think faithfully about you. And we ask all of this for Jesus' sake. Amen.